Today's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And that's on page 983 in your pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. In you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to King's Cross. I'm Pastor Orion, and we are in the third week of Colossians. And last week, um, we, we, we got to witness Paul's coronation of King Jesus. And, 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 and what Paul wanted to do is make certain that we saw the preeminent King Jesus. Like that was, that was what he wanted us to see. And we heard things like, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Like he's the head of the body. He's the, he's the firstborn of the new creation. Like he wanted us to see King Jesus. In a, in a real way, and it's like Paul's not concerned, he's not interested in playing it soft when it comes to who Jesus is. He's not interested in that in this letter to this little church plant, and, and, and so he, he wants us to know who Jesus is, and he wants us to know what Jesus has done, why it matters to us. And this church at this time was dealing with certain things in its place, like where it was in its location and in its timeline in, in, in church history. Like it was dealing with the, this inflow of uh, societal values and like the modern culture around it and like um, different religions and all these different pressures that became really strong influences over this young church. And Paul knows that there's a real possibility for this church, that, that, that like, like a strong possibility, that if they were to minimize Jesus at all, like if they were to minimize Jesus, they run the risk of syncretizing to that culture and to all of those pressures and eventually becoming an apostate church. Like he, he understood that. He felt it. In, in every fiber of his body, and he writes in the by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like to that need, to, to that moment in time in that location, he writes it. But listen, like that moment and those realities are true. They're not just true about that church and not true about other churches through time and history. It's true for us. It's really true for you and I this morning. Those are real realities for us also. But there are strong attacks on the church. There are strong attacks, attacks from society and attacks from um, other religions and, and political ideologies. And like there are those, those same pressures on the church today that are just saying, hey, like 
gosh, could you guys just calm down? Like, right, does the Bible really say, right, there's, there's all this pressure on the church today. There's this degrading of what the church is and what the church is about, what the Word of God is, what the Bible is, what the gospel is. There's an active, active attack on all those things. If, if you don't feel that, see that, know that, you should know that. And Paul's writing into that need this morning. And, and, and like you could be totally unaware of those things, and it doesn't make it any less true that you are impacted by them. Like it doesn't make it that there's theological degrading. Like, is Jesus really God? Is he really God? Like, didn't he, did he die for us? Did he really die for us? Or is he like, isn't he just a good example that we could like live our lives by? That's, that's a reality that just is, is around you. Even if you're not hearing a friend say it so clearly, that is, that is something that is degrading actively, moralistic. Does the Bible really say that, like, sex outside of marriage is bad? Like, what about that word homosexuality? What does that mean? Like, that could mean something different there. There's a moralistic, you could go on and on. Why don't you Christians just progress with the times? Just progress a little bit with the times with us. There's an ecclesiological degrading that's attacking the church. Do we, do we got to meet? Do we really got to meet? Let's just meet online. Like... Call it church. Like, do we got to meet? Do we need attendance? Do we need, like, deacons and giving and serving and elder? Like, we, do we need those things? Like, does the Bible really say there is that reality? All those realities, we could, we could go on more. There's a lot of similar challenges that we face as Christians in our faith in this day that they faced. Paul's writing to those needs. Spurgeon said it this way in his day, I believe that the reason why the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has had so much influence in the church. And I'm not a traditionalist at all, like for tradition's sake, because, you know, um, change is bad, same is better. Like, like that's, not, that's not my viewpoint. I actually love change. I embrace change. I progress and building and things developing, those, those are things I love. My only concern this morning as we're opening this passage and reading is when it comes to the concern of this life and leading this church and to hear at the end of my life, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into the eternal rest of my kingdom. Like that's my only concern, that, 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 that my life and your life would be lived quorum Deo, in the presence of God, before God alone. That, that, that there was one person who came down into my dark existence, like my twisted and broken nothingness of an existence, and rescued me. A guy I didn't know did what I didn't know he did, and he came and he rescued me. I didn't find Jesus. He came and got me. He came and got me. He rescued me. And so what Paul's fighting for in this letter is the same things that we all should be fighting for. To, to love Jesus and honor him, speak the truth, do what he asks us to do, be obedient, to build his kingdom. 
That's what he's riding into by the Spirit of God. And he wants us to see this preeminent king of our faith. He wants us to see that first and foremost. And as we turn to verse 21, he's going to build on that idea today. And he's, he's going to build today. And my hope for us is that we would see the king clearly and you would hear what he has done for you. What he has done for you. And that in that you would experience his kingdom wrapping around you in a real way. If you're a Christian, that you are reconciled to God. And if you're not a Christian, then today could be the day of your reconciliation. That's my hope. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you that you have um, reconciled. You are our redeemer. You are our reconciler, our rescuer, our king of kings, our Lord of lords. Like Paul, like each and every one of us, at one time we're enemies of yours and maybe Maybe we didn't hold the coats of those who killed and persecuted Christians, but we were all part of an act of rebellion, an act of rebellion of your creation against their creator. And and our failure, my failure to, to live a life in spite of you, believing that I determined what was right and I wasn't accountable to your holy and righteous truth. I stood condemned, lost in my wrongs. And I committed wrong upon wrong, and even the good I tried to do just only furthered my act of rebellion against you. And I made a life by the free choices that I made and and stood condemned for those choices. And all of us have chosen wrongly. We can see that. And we need, we need somebody we didn't know to do something we couldn't do and to reconcile the record of wrongs. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we um, open your word and we read it and we hear what it means, like, would you encourage us in the joy of our salvation? Like, would you settle our identity? Would you settle all the places that we're striving and fighting and let us rest in the gospel this morning? Like, where there's places of people's lives this morning that that though they have been reconciled to you, King Jesus, there are places in their life that need, like, the benefits of reconciliation that we'll see. And so, Lord, would would you do something miraculous there this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love research, like I'm a researcher, I don't know uh, like if you know that about me, but all of my personality tests, um, no matter what they are, sort of come back to say like that I'm somebody who loves research. So if you love Enneagram stuff, I'm a Enneagram with eight energy and means that like my five or my like nerdy energy is like, it's big too. So I, I love to research and um, become proficient at everything, learning you know, everything I can about something so that I can help reform it or build it or make it sort of better. Like I have this heightened sense of, of, of just wanting to subdue the earth. Um, a little bit, and, and you, you got to know some things to be able to do that type of thing. Um, so it's like the gift of being a know-it-all. That's what it is. Um, and if you don't like the Enneagram, I'm, 
I'm like Felix in the office, I just turn around and say, well, actually, um, that, that's sort of maybe a more sanctified version. Um, but but I, I love that. I love to research and see the world um, in order and be built and better. And I, I serve on a development advisory commission, uh, which is a bunch of civic leaders who try to create better laws than politicians can and, um, and then build and bring businesses into our cities that are good or else you just have um, storage units and uh, car washes. Um, so not my fault. That was existed before I got there. Um, I love research. I love it. And for this series, as we're going through it with Bethel and, and we're sitting down with, with Pastor Wendell and, and, and we're going through it with all of our elders, and I, one of my jobs is to bring all of the best research and all the best commentary together to give us a range of data. Like, in order to have good research, you need sort of a range, right? Like, you need, you need to create that range. What are, we, what are the things that we're going to listen to and look at and know about something so we can know about something? Like, that's, that's a key to research is, is providing and setting a range, right? That's what Paul's doing to you this morning. He's bringing the range of the preeminent superior Jesus into view this morning. He's doing that through these verses so that you can see the range of Christ's redemption, both who you are, what Christ has done, and like where we're heading together. And that's what Paul is doing this morning. He's giving us this, this range of the preeminent king. And so um, we're going to start in verse 21, and he says, and you going to begin with you here. This is who Jesus is last week. Here's who we are. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Not great news about you. There's three things that he says. One, that you're alienated, meaning that you're not of God. Wow. An alien is somebody from another planet, right? Or maybe we use that in re reference to somebody from a different country. But, but in this moment, in this writing, we should think of an alien as somebody in a different kingdom. Like they don't, they're not here. They're not a part of what we do. They're a citizen of a different kingdom. They, they live by that kingdom's rules and that kingdom's laws and your citizenship and your identity is, is it's alien. That's what Paul's saying. That's, that's where we begin. The word isn't just about you being a citizen of a different kingdom. It implies a loneliness and a, and a deep sense of not belonging. That's what it implies. It, it, a loneliness and a deep sense of, of not belonging. You know, a lot of those feelings for us as human beings come from this rooted identity in us. That, that without Christ, you don't belong. You don't. There's a sense of which we can kind of carry that. And, and, and unless that identity is transformed through the reconciler, like it can be residual, it can be something that we carry. But, but the, we're not going to just skip to the good news without really fully understanding the, the difficult news. That apart from repentance and believing, you're a part of another kingdom, not God's kingdom. And how do we know that? Let's look at the next thing. You're hostile in mind towards God. It's not just that you kind of started off in the wrong neighborhood. 
I, I, I grew up in the wrong neighborhood through no fault of my own. Like, if that's not the, just the thing, but like, you were hostile in your own mind to God. Because of the fall, because of sin's interest in humanity, yes, there's a beginning place that we all live in, but you have made your own free choices. You've made your own free choices. You, there's no allegiance without Christ, without the Spirit of God filling us. We have no allegiance to God. It's not just that my thinking is inadequate. It's, it's not just that my own thinking is moronic. Like Paul's saying it's hostile to God. It's hostile without the transforming power of the Spirit. And you can sit around all day, you can sit around all day, and, 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 and all day never thinking in my mind like, I hate John. Like I'm not, but I could still be hostile to John without like thinking of myself as a villain or him as a villain and hating John all day. I can still be hostile without having my day thought by thought about my hostility. That's true about us. I can have hostility to somebody and sort of just ignore them, but I'm still hostile to them. If that's true about us, then how much more thousands of times more true it is about the most important relationship a human being could ever have with their creator, with the one who has created them on purpose and for a purpose to bring him glory and for him to push his glory into their lives and see them transformed. That's God's plan for us. And so he's saying, listen, you, you were born and, and you lived your life making the choices that you made and you, you have a hostility to God. Great hostility. He goes on to say, doing evil deeds. So it's not just like kind of where you've, you've set up shop in a, in a different kingdom. It's not just kind of how you're thinking. It's like all of you, all of me, my whole deal, my whole life, like doing evil deeds. No person who has ever lived except Jesus could say this is not true about them, doing evil deeds. No one without the empowering grace of God to repent from those deeds is resolved of them. Paul calls them evil. You, you could maybe just try to go, okay, well, they were wrong. They were wrong choices. I did wrong things, they're wrong deeds. Paul says, hey, all that that you want to minimize was evil. It was an affront to God's righteous demands. It is an affront to the truth. And like anyone who, who is in that space, which is everyone, without God's grace, without Jesus dying for us, is under the weight and the consequence and the condemnation that, that comes with that. Like every one of us, like that's the reality. And there's no solution for you. You can't live good enough. You can't make the right choices. You can't, like you just can't. And it compounds and it compounds and there's no solution and there's this overwhelming feeling of guilt and condemnation and shame that comes from it. That's, that's where every human is and you, could get, you can ignore it, but it won't let you ignore it. 
And Paul, so far, he's just speaking to Christians, right? Like he's, he's, he's speaking to Christians, but he's saying what's true about all of humanity. So every one of us are in the same boat, right? So, so when, we, when we embrace the reality of who we were without Christ, we do it together. Because there's none of us that were like the bad sinners and then there was the decent sinners and you grew up in church and you're kind of a little, you know, B-squad center. Like, that's not what Paul's saying. We're all there. We're all there apart from Christ. And he parallels this whole um, discourse about this with, with another passage in Ephesians 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, it'll be in Ephesians 2. And, and, and he, it's a little bit more um, vibrant. It's a little, little bit more depth, a little bit more um, beauty and poetry even in it. But, but like, um, we can see in Ephesians really what he means. He's writing to this church that, in Ephesus that he planted and he spent years there with. It has a little different flavor. Let's, let's, let's listen to this. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. And you... Um, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So he says, hey, it's, it's not just that you're like alien, hostile, doing evil deeds. He says you were dead in those choices. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. How would you define? feel the internal consistency of scripture for a minute like it isn't just a bunch of random writings like it's all these all these letters and all these books that are saying the same thing the same truth about who god is now if you die you die an alien apart from Christ's redeeming work you you're part of another kingdom hostile doing evil deeds paul says though that you are already dead <laughs> you're already spiritually dead like you're already in that place is what he's saying you're already there you're already dead in the trespasses you've already made your choices you've chosen each and every human you've chosen i don't want god i don't want him i feel like the lady, the oracle in the movie, The Matrix, when, when Neo goes and talks to her and she's like, I, I hate giving good people bad news. <laughs> like, that's what it feels like right now in this moment. Like some of you just a little tight, you're like, get to the grace part, okay? Like that's the reality. And she says to him, you know, she gives him a cookie and she's like, you're gonna leave here and you're gonna feel better as soon as you do because you'll remember that you don't believe this mumbo jumbo anyway, right? Like that's, that's what he says. I, I hope that the word of God doesn't allow us to enter that space this morning. I, like I hope that, that, I th hope that we're captured by the truth to know that, that without Jesus, you are dead in your trespasses and there's real evidence against you. It's not something somebody's making up. 
You might say, well, preacher, are you saying that there's no good in the world, that there's no good people in the world, that I can't experience good? Like, are you saying that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm I'm not telling you that there's no good in the world. God loves his creation. We were singing this morning. He loves his creation. He's governing it, and he gives his creation good gifts. And sometimes through people who don't even know him, he's, he's giving through, his, through people something we call common grace. And so you can experience good things from God. You can experience it through people who don't know God. You can experience all these good gifts because he's a good God and he loves us and he, he's giving his good gifts to this world all the time. But God's common grace... That sort of good feelings that people can experience, we could work together to save something. Like all that doesn't erase the reality of what God is establishing here. It doesn't erase common grace, doesn't erase the need for his amazing grace in our lives. There's a grace which God in his unmerited favor towards the world, he is pouring out and giving. And there's a grace that we still need. We still all need to be saved, to to no longer be dead, to no longer be spiritually dead. And let's keep on going and hear about that in 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's reconciled. He's reconciled. That's an interesting word. I wonder what we like know about it or think about it. Like most of our reconciliation is in this culture is is sort of like some kind of transaction, right? Like that's what it is. is We got to go reconcile our bill. Um, That's what we got to do. When you go down to the lake and you rent a pontoon, and you go out on the lake for a day and you rent it. And when you go there, they tell you how much it's going to cost. And it's like, okay, that's what it's going to cost. But, and you go out, they give you this big list of rules to abide by. And you go off and you have your day. And depending on the choices that you make, how much gas you use and how many times you hit a log or run it aground, like that, like it, it's, it's going to cost more than what they tell you, right? And you have to drive the boat back and, and you have to go talk to the owners and you have to reconcile with them. You have to, you have to give them the consequences of your choices for that day. You have to reconcile the remains a debt beyond what you've, you've put money down for. There remains a debt that you have to reconcile the cost and the debt of the choices that you made. There remains a debt to be paid. And if you're like me, you ran all the gas out. And you hit every log in the water and you ran it aground, destroying that prop and those tunes over and over again. And you turn around and it's a fiery heap in the water that you're wondering how it's even burning. Like that's the life that I live. I spent all the, all the fun. I spent it all. And my debt was insurmountable. It was insurmountable. And so is each and every one of yours. It had to be reconciled. It had to be. And 22 says that reconciliation doesn't come from your pocket. He has 
reconciled. In his body of flesh, he has reconciliation comes from God and through God alone. That's, what, that's where it comes from, by his body of flesh, that the, that the money for the transaction of your reconciliation is Jesus' perfect vessel being destroyed for you, being destroyed for you. By his death, the cost, the bank account that it came from to pay for your debt came from the loss of his life through his death, him being condemned for you. Substitutionary atonement is vital to the gospel. We will never let it go. It's vital that he, that he died. Jesus is not just our good example. He is the best example. It's very helpful to have the rules on the lake. It's very helpful to see the other captains of the boats abiding by those rules and doing a good job. It's very helpful, but, but the way I left my boat, I needed a savior. I needed him, and Jesus said, I got it. I paid the cost for you. And the result, the result of reconciliation is as good as the news that he did it. The result is holiness, blamelessness, and being above reproach. Holiness, blamelessness, and above reproach. In Christ's reconciliation of your life, through the cross, through, through his beating and the blood he spilled, and through his death and resurrection, like through that, he's giving to you in reconciliation holiness. Holiness. There's nothing holy about any of you. And yet he gives through his reconciliation this beautiful gift. And I want you to think about holiness, not just as no sin, like not just that. I want you to think about holiness as being set apart in the most important way for something. Being set apart for the, in the most important way for something. For the most important something. That's the holiness that he's giving you. That, that you, now reconciled, your whole life, your whole existence, everything about you is set apart for God. But to be set apart from, for God, because of what we just heard, you're set apart from something else. And that something else is the kingdom of darkness and sin. So, so that's what holiness is. It's, it's being set apart from that to this, to live your life for God, through God. Like that's what he's giving you, holiness. And you're blameless in it, he says. Blamelessness means that, that you're free from the dead of that. It's not even like you're just over here pretending to be God's children. You're like he's covered this. It's, you ever had something like you cheated on your taxes or you, 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 know, you broke the law or maybe you did something with a friend and you just, for a long time, you didn't, you, you were like living in the lie? <laughs> it's like when you lie, you have to tell more lies to keep from that lie catching you and it just sort of, like, it just sort of like chases you. Like that's what he's saying, there's no chasing. You, you're, you're no longer to blame, there's no longer any debt, it's actually been paid. 
You're released from the debt. It's great that you feel godly sorrow about it. That's, that's a great, like that's a reality, like, but you're free from it. It doesn't haunt you. It doesn't chase you. It's hard to believe, but it is true. You're blameless in this new identity. And the third thing that he says about this reconciliation is that you're above reproach. So when I leave the counter at the marina, having my debt paid, um, I'm forgiven because my debt is paid, it's, it's satisfied, um, it's erased, right? Like it's, it's gone, legally, I'm cool, let's go, I leave. But when I come back to the marina, the next day and I want to rent the boat again, they're like, you're the guy who jacked the boat up. Like, you're, that guy. you're the guy who, who breaks boats. Th that's what he's saying here is like, there's something that happens in our, our identity where, where every time like I, I, I sort of like try to reposition my identity, I'm still the pirate, right? Like I'm still the, the bad guy. But when God reconciles you, he makes what was true, not true. That's what he's saying to be above reproach is that all the things that, that, that Paul just said were true about you, through the cross, he makes them untrue. It's not, no longer, it's still facts. The, the fact that I was a scoundrel is still a fact about my life, but it is untrue now. It is made untrue. Well, I'm a, I am above the reproach of that. Like, I'm above its reproach. They were true. There's still some facts about my past, but above reproach means he made them untrue. I'm no longer under that identity. I have a completely new one that he has made me in. Let's look back at Ephesians 2. I know I lost you. I said one earlier. Ephesians 2, you're looking through chapter 1. You're like, where are we at? Um, but God, here's how Paul talks about it to his church. But God, being rich in mercy and because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in those trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want you to just notice for a minute that he didn't say, but God, thinking that sin was no big deal. But God, because you're really cool and he's really impressed with you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, but God, seeing what you could do on your own. No, he saved us out of his mercy and out of his love. That's, that's how he saved us. He goes on to say in verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I also want you to notice that being reconciled to God, it's not just like we get out of the debt, we get out of hell. You know, like it's not, that's not just the whole picture that he's painting for us. 
that's a really good thing, amen? Like, that's a really good thing that we're outside of that. But he has such a more beautiful picture so that we don't, like, just try to leave that behind, right? Like, he's, he, there's a brand new life in Christ for us. A life that's based on grace, on God's unmerited favor to you. Your whole life's based on God just lavishly continuing to pour out his grace on you. Your position was the depths of hell, and now you're seated in heavenly places. That's what he says. And from that moment, through the coming ages, God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. Like that's, that's the reality. It's not just an identity. It's not just some things that have changed us. It's our forever reality. Salvation is the gospel being reconciled. It's our forever reality. And being a Christian isn't a bowl of cherries. There's suffering. We're going to see Paul talk about that in the coming weeks. There's real trials. There's hard stuff. But he's saying that there's this experience of this abiding love, this presence of God that, that, that remains and grows and continues this reconciliation effort in us. That, that, that you will experience love like no one has ever loved you. You'll be able to love others in a way that you've never loved anyone else. Like, that's what he's saying, that there's everything that your life is about now gets tied up into this purpose that, that God has created. And it's through Jesus. It's through this reconciler. And this next part, I want to... I want this next part, it's caused confusion. It, it shouldn't have to cause confusion historically um, because we've just heard that there's nothing about your works that save you. We've already heard that. That's settled Christian doctrine for centuries. Even, it, it, even you noticing Jesus, even your ability to hear the gospel and think it's beautiful, even the faith that it takes to believe, it's settled Christian doctrine that God's given you that faith. He's given it to you. Right? Like, so we know that. And so when we turn to verse 23 and we see the words, if indeed then, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting for, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, you got to ask yourself, what does he mean? What does Paul mean by if indeed? He's not saying that these are the conditions of your reconciliation, that you remain steadfast and not um, shifting from the hope of the gospel. He's not saying that, that these aren't the conditions. Whole New Testament teaches salvation by grace through faith. Paul is saying that we will indeed know who is reconciled. Like that's the reality is that the ones who have been reconciled, we will see that, these, that, that indeed they are continuing in the faith, that they, this is what they look like. And this is what I think you can experience from that reconciliation. The reconciled by Jesus, they're full of faith. And that faith leads to stability in the gospel and it leads to hope in the gospel. That's what it, it does. It doesn't mean that that faith isn't shaky at times. It, it, it doesn't mean that your hope will wane. It doesn't, it doesn't mean those things, but it means that the reconciled, look at the word continue. Like that's, that's what it means, that the reconciled continue. And that's Paul's big concern for this church, that they continue in the faith, 
that they, they'd be strong in their walk and they'd continue despite all these influences around them. And John, the apostle, says in 1 John, he puts it this way. He said, hey, they went out from us. And, and they, they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Like, so John puts it that way. Like, that's how he wants us to see this. And this is Paul's one, one of his biggest concerns. Is that, that, that you would be rooted, like right? Like that you, would, that you would be standing still in the gospel, but you would be continuously on the journey of growing as a disciple. Like that's what his hope is. That's what he wants for us. And then uh, I want to just leave you with this thought this morning because I, I think that it, you can see the range of the gospel in it this morning. And we want to keep pointing this out to you in Colossians because Paul thinks it's important. And, and, and we just see it over and over again. And I think this, this idea of, cause, of, of Paul's cosmic vision of the church, like the, his big vision of, of us, the church, and, and our faith, is it's important to Paul because he doesn't want us to just think that this is some weird theology in some backwoods church in some faraway place and time. Like that's, that's what he wants us to see. Verse 23, the last part of it. He's talking about the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. See the cosmic nature? He takes this really important thing for you to get today, and he goes, hey, it's not just about you. It's not just about some weird, strange theology that somebody thinks. Like he, and then he attaches your little life to the insignificant cosmic thing that God is doing over times and places, and he gives it his stamp of approval of which I, Paul, became a minister. Boom, apostolic st approval. It's just not some, 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 some guru preaching something weird somewhere. This is the age-old gospel, and to those who are still dead in their trespasses, this is the age-old gospel that transforms lives. It kills shame, and it gives new life. The gospel is the, is the message that awakens your spiritual death. The gospel is the message of reconcilia reconciliation to God. Believe that in his body, in his body and through his death, he has shown you mercy and he has shown you love and he has died for you. Believe that. And if you are reconciled, this morning, if you, if, you, if you count yourself among Christ and Christ is in you, then the age-old gospel gives you new life. It gives you new life and a growing identity and new mercies every day. The gospel is your daily bread. The gospel is the outpouring of his riches for you forever. The gospel is all of our only hope. He does not want us to swerve from seeing the preeminent king and what he has done for us. That's the most important thing you can hear today. And there's places in each of our lives where, where we, we kind of know it and we believe it, but, 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 but he's hoping to grow us in it. And so that's got to be your work to do this week, this morning, is to respond and go, hey, there's places I don't feel reconciled. I don't, I don't know if I believe what he said about who I am and my identity. Like there's some places where you might feel lonely. You might still feel shame. Maybe you're carrying sins that you've not repented of. Like that's why we gather, to put arms around one another 
as fellow sojourners heading towards the eternal land. Like, and, and encourage one another in the gospel. That's why we're here. So, so do that and respond this morning as we come and take communion. Let me pray and we'll do that. Father, I thank you um, for the sweet and precious nature of the gospel that invites us this morning together as lost people, as people who, who've, who've been lost in sin and been far away from you. It invites us this morning into your love and into your mercy. So Lord, I pray that there'd be deep and fresh renewal for every brother and sister here that walks are strengthened in the eternal cosmic nature. That you're, you're doing something in this world that is beautiful, that is surprising, and we will spend eternity sort of scratching our heads and worshiping you at the same time. And so God, I pray that you'd meet everyone here with that power, with that grace, with that reconciliation. As we come to the table, as we share prayers and fellowship, fill this place with your presence, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.